Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Pass. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Nation podcast presented by SB Nation. We are the voice of Patriot Nation. I am Pat Lane, as always, with my uh, co-host and and friend Ryan Spagnoli. Spags, how you doing, my friend? Doing well, man. Another week down. Big one coming up uh, against sure. Minnesota. Definitely going to get into that in a little bit uh, for with uh, Jason Rossi of Wei. Yep, yep. It's a as as Spags said, we got a really fun interview with Sp- uh, Spags. With with uh, Spags is there, but with <laughs> yeah, uh, with Jason with Jason, with Jason Rossi, uh, really interesting. We have we talk about you know Patriots, and then obviously the Vikings matchup coming up, and and then we also discuss some interesting things. Uh, you know, some of the officials last week uh, were were pretty pretty terrible, and so we talk about some of the the plays where the Patriots got screwed the most by the officials. Um, not necessarily you know one play happening, but you know either an obvious call that they missed for the Patriots or a play that they called against the Patriots that end up screwing the Patriots. So, um, you know, we kind of get into a little bit, some, some of them a little bit sore subject and, you know, ones that still, you know, boil your blood, you know, even years later. So uh, that's an interesting, interesting topic. So it's something, something you don't want to miss for sure. So without further ado, let's get you into that interview, as Spag said, with uh, Jason Rossi from WEEI. All right, we're going to welcome onto the show the producer of Dale and Keefe from 10 to 2 on WEI, Jason Rossi. Jason, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate the care package. Everything you sent in the mail came in fine. I'm still waiting on the check, but I guess we'll get that after. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, listen, once we get paid, you'll get paid too. So, you know. Hey, don't lie to me. All right, don't lie to me. I'll send you guys a check then. <laughs> So, hey, well, I'd be appreciative. I'd be appreciative. So, um, oh, yeah. So, Patriots come off the bye. They looked just about as bad as you could possibly look before the bye. And then they go into the, they go into the, you know, the first half against the Jets and they look just god awful in the first Mm -hmm. half against the Jets. And they come out, you know, and really just three drives in the second half and they just field goal, touchdown, touchdown. And they wiped the floor with the Jets in the second in the second half. What did you see that you were impressed by? Was there things that you know concerned you? What was your overall take of the, of the game? I guess my biggest concern is I think the concern of the entire season was kind of rolled up in this game. This is a Jets team that the Buffalo Bills destroyed. Now I know you know there's a big difference. Every game, you know, when it comes to the Patriots, it's in New York. They're going to get up a little bit more for that one. There's all the rumors of Todd Bowles being replaced. Now you're hearing rumors that. He actually probably is going to get one more year with Sam Donald. But the Jets got up for this game. And I think the biggest disappointment I had when it came to the Patriots and like this whole season so far is just 
they don't have that killer instinct or, or things aren't happening the way they've been during the, you know, everyone wants to say 17 years, but I'll even look at the last three years. There is moments when this team is put up against adversity and whether it's Josh McDaniels, whether it's Brady, whether it's just the offense making the plays when they need them to, it just didn't happen in this game. And one drive specifically, I don't have the game script in front of me, but I remember there was a drive. They started somewhere in like their really way back in their own territory. Let's say somewhere in the teens and Brady got them moving down the field, a big pass to Gronk. Then I think a pass to Hogan and they bing, bing, like you just saw it. Like, this is the drive. They're going to get right back to being the Patriots, like, especially against the Jets, like here they come. And then there was those kind of weird Trent Brown penalties. If you remember this, yeah. uh, Trent Brown had the holding call where he like, just like horse call at a guy. And then there was a play, there was a run to Michelle, the very next play. Oh no, it was a pass. I'm sorry. To Josh Gordon. It was a first and 20 and they got a 15 yard pass to Josh Gordon to make it second and five. You're like, okay, this isn't going to be a big setback. Then there was another penalty on Trent Brown, got pushed yeah. back again. They weren't able to get any points on this. They ended up punting. They lost like 20 yards in penalties. It was just that it was so disappointing to me. And that is something that I'm just not used to seeing as a Patriots fan, especially coming off the bye. That was the most important part why I find this to be disappointing because you would think, all right, you're going to start slow. I understand. There is some issues going on with this offense. People can deny it all they want. There's something going on. And it's not Seth Wickersham stuff. It is just an offensive. It could be Brady injuries. But that was the drive when I was watching. I was like, here they are. This is when everything just kind of gets back into motion. And they never really hit that gear. You talked about those second-half drives, which was great to see. But nothing really was like, oh, wow, or ooh, this is promising. Or, oh, you know, it's great to have Gronk back. That's one great sign. He looked good. He looked healthy. He looked like he was moving like he, you know, what we saw in the beginning of the year in that Texans game. But those are really the only things that stood out to me in this game, aside from a, a defense that still looks like they just kind of lost out there and don't have a real, like, I don't know, maybe that second motor or those those playmakers out there that are just going to be like, okay, when it's third and five, we know this guy's either going to get as a quarterback or they're going to throw to their primary receiver and maybe Stephon Gilmore's automatically going to make a play. We just don't, I don't see that right now. I thought it was, you know, a typical division game, you know, just in La La Land. You know, that slow, very boring, lack of offense first half. You know, like you said, you kind of maybe expect that the first couple of drives coming off the bye. But, you know, the second half was good to see, like you said, that those three most important um, drives of the game, they ended up getting points. So, um, but yeah, I think this is going to be a big test this week. We'll get into it in a little bit with, you know, Minnesota's elite defense. I think they're top five, so. Well, and that's one thing, and and you touched on it a little bit there, Jason, but like defensively for the Patriots, they've made some good plays. They actually blitz uh, quite a bit. Um, I think it's eighth in the league they are in blitz percentage, but when they're like 30th in sacks. So they're not getting a ton of sacks, but they are forcing a decent amount of pressures. The one problem that I have, and outside of Trey Flowers really, they don't have that guy that makes the play when you need them to. Like, you know, was it was Vrabel for years and Brewski, and they had like seven guys on the old, you know, on that old defense. But even still, like Ninkovich would make those plays. And like guys like yeah. that that would step up and make a play, at, you know, when you really needed it. And yeah, Trey Flowers can do it every now and again, but it's like, I just, I don't see that guy on the field right now. And I think the thing with, I, I, I am a big fan of Trey Flowers. I think he's going to get a monster deal and I hope it's here in New England because I think he is that good. I think it's the way 
that the Patriots defense, I don't always want to go to scheme, but it's just the way that they play defense, the way they use a guy like him. He's playing too much in like interior. And then when, even when he's playing on the end or sometimes, you know, he is very few times I've seen him, they have him in like a standing position. It's he's always trying to come too far around. He's not Von Miller. And I think sometimes they have him playing in this like Von Miller-esque role where he like, they think he can come around. He's, he's not that guy. He's a great, like, I want him against the guards. I want him against the center. And you know, I just I think he can be a difference maker, but I just find like that they have him in this position to more control and keep things in front of him than go after and, and either take the running back out three yards behind the line of scrimmage or go sack the quarterback. He only has, I believe, like two and a half sacks, three sacks a season. And I think that's a major thing that I would like to see them maybe turn him loose a little bit. Like we saw in the past with Dante Hightower when they started moving him to the to the end it was like just let him loose you saw him in that super bowl against atlanta it was just just let him go after the quarterback not be concerned about making just the right smart play sometimes we just need a guy that can go and just have a nose for the ball right yeah it makes sense i mean you know and that's i, I will say though he even though he had, doesn't have the sacks his pressure numbers mm-hmm. are are crazy i mean i think he had eight oh. and a half i think uh jeff howe tweeted out he had like eight and a half pressures last week he had nine pressures a few weeks ago um, you know, he's, so he's in the backfield disrupting plays, maybe not, you know, getting the sacks, but at least forcing, you know, the timing of a throw to be off or, you know, forcing a bad throw or something like that. And so, yes, obviously you want to see more sacks because sacks lead to, you know, possible fumbles and turnovers. So, but at least he's getting in there a little bit. I think you're right though. Yep. If you kind of change where he is a little bit, maybe they can get more sacks and pressures, you know? Yeah, I think he's just playing the Rob Ninkovich role, and this is no disrespect to Rob Ninkovich, actually on our show on Monday, but I think they're using, I think he's a little more athletic, and I think he's stronger than Ninkovich, and I think he can be let loose a little bit. You're right, he is definitely getting in there more. I think I'm lacking, giving him a little lack of credit due to the numbers, but I just feel like he could be the guy that every time a running back gets a ball, he's the guy right in front of him. Every time that quarterback has more than a three-three. Uh, step drop, if I could speak. Uh, he's the guy who's like right in there, and you're seeing that. But I think there's just a little bit more that they can let loose with someone like him. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, and I will say about him, I'd be shocked if the Patriots didn't give him the contract because, you know, the one thing about guys like Chandler Jones and, um, you know, Jamie Collins, guys like that that they let go. You know, they just they they were not that they weren't not that they were one dimensional, but I just felt like they you know they didn't do everything. Flowers does everything. Yeah. He plays the run great. He rushes the passer great. He plays every single defensive snap, and he does it all well. And so, to me, you know, he reminds me of like a Richard Seymour type. He mm. fits their scheme so well. Like, yes, they don't want a Clay Matthews is going to be out there just on third down to rush the passer. They don't want a guy like that. They'll take a guy yeah. like that if, it, if he's willing to play special teams, but they're not going to pay him a ton of money. But they want guys like Flowers. I'd be shocked, and and frankly, I'd be pissed if they let him walk because he's the guy that they should pay because he fits the system. No, I agree. And, and you know, we're talking about what you just said about, like, third down, and that's my biggest concern, too, when it comes to this Patriots. They are awful on third downs. They, I think they're bottom – they're, like, bottom fifth and third of the league. I think they're somewhere in there. Like, they're giving a 43% – of third down conversions. And that is so on, I hate to always just use the term so on Patriot, like, but that's on Belichick defense. I know things have changed with Patricia gone. And I thought at this point, we'd start to find out what kind of defensive coordinator Flores is with Belichick. And I guess, you know, hopefully, you know, we still have a few more weeks. I know we'll talk about this Vikings game. This is, this is a get right type of week. It being back at home in a big test. 
Yeah. Well, let's talk about that Vikings game because, Bags, you brought it up. I mean, you know, that defense is legit. And so the Patriots are going to obviously have to compete against an offense with some elite weapons, you know, with Thielen and Diggs. Now, Diggs didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. So maybe he doesn't play, but I don't know whether he's going to play or not. We'll see. You know, but even if he doesn't, they still have Thielen. They still have Dalvin Cook. So, you know, I think both sides of the ball are certainly going to be tested this week. Um, but really, I mean, I think your rights bags that the, the defense for Minnesota outweighs the offense, I think. 100%. I, I wrote about it today on the pulpit that, you know, I feel like this game's being kind of, you know, overlooked. It's not one of those big games that's – they're not hyping it up, I feel like, as much like, you know, in the Patriots media. You know, in Minnesota, they, they, they got, you know, a top five defense. Their top five unit ranks third fewest – Third and fewest yards allowed per game, which is only 314.7. Fifth in passing yards, 221, and only allowing 93 rushing yards um, per contest. So, I mean, it's it sounds like it's going to be a shootout because I, I think Minnesota is definitely going to score on this defense. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, I think you're right about that. Like, defensively, it's going to be tough, and, and I think – you know, going against the the Vikings defense is going to be challenging. And I think defensively for the Patriots, it brings up an interesting challenge because you have one lockdown corner, but they have two number one receivers. And so who does Gilmore try to shut down? You know, does he try to shut down Diggs or does he try to shut down Thielen? I think that's really going to be the biggest question. Yeah, I bet he'd be on Thielen. And then, you know, if Diggs were to play, you know, Maybe like a Jonathan Jones. I don't know, kind of like a speedy guy because he does play a little bit in the slot too, Diggs. So I don't know. I'm with you there. I think Thielen is the guy. I think Belichick is most worried about too. Just watching the way he's right. coached in the past to try to shut out those guys. That's another issue they have. They haven't really shut anybody down yet this season, like the must-shut-down guys. Um, but I think Thielen's a guy. He kind of pushes that team along where, you know, Diggs not being 100%, I could see them doing a combination of McCourty, Jonathan Jones, maybe we see the debut of a Duke Dawson in a position like that. Just, you know, maybe you need a little rookie luck in a position there. Um, Or I could see like, you know, having a safety cover over with like a Chung or, you know, maybe the, maybe we get the McCordy brothers, the twins, double team. And and not, not to get off topic a little bit about the, about the Vikings team. So I do want to get into that, but obviously you brought up Duke Dawson who just, you know, came off the IR a few weeks ago. We get Rex Burke head back, you know, kind of open it up to both of you. You know, what do you think he's going to, he can do to the offense? You know, who knows if he'll play this week, but kind of going forward. I mean, he's a pretty, you know, reliable piece to that offense when he's healthy. It's just, he can't seem to stay on the field. I think he's going to rip Tom Brady's hand off. Yeah. <laughs> he's coming back. Look, he's trying to finish the, He's going to finish that job. He's the one who wants to end his career. He wants to be yeah. Safe. Oh God. No, but in, in, in all seriousness, I, I find that, my concern, my first concern is we finally have a running game that in, in with a two-headed monster, if you would, where you have Sonny Michelle running well between tackles, can get to the outside. He just seemed like, a, like talk about a guy we have an issue staying healthy. Like, he just seems like he's such, he's in this zone and he's just very comfortable in this offense now. And then you have James White, who could be a Pro Bowl running back just in the receiving category. He may be one of the best receiving backs that the Patriots, let alone, have ever had. Like, we always, I think, you know, speaking, I don't want to speak for you guys. I'm sure you're both big Kevin Falk fans and were amazed by the things he could do. I think Jane Varian, too. Yeah, I think I think White's yeah, better. James, we talked yeah. about that a few weeks ago. I think White is just an outstanding player. And he's talking about a guy that has just got the Brady trust. And so my concern with Burkett is he's an insurance policy for both of them. 
And I hope that's kind of what they use. Because we saw last year, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He had the trust of Brady. He could run between the tackles. My hope is that he's just there as an insurance policy. We don't have to rush him into this because I think these two guys can handle the running game and the pass catching out of the backfield. You, you mix them in when, when you need them. But I think he's a playoff guy. I think I just want to see him get some reps, maybe five to 10 snaps this week, maybe increase that a little bit as we get further. But I think he's a postseason guy and you save, not save, but you use him for that's where I think he's going to come in most importantly because Michelle missed a few games, but he's still, this is a rookie year. You don't know what you're going to get out of him in the long term. Right. Well, no, I think I think you're 100 percent right about that. And I think one of the issues they had for a while was that they were so one dimensional with a back on the field. So, you know, Burkhead goes out and Hill goes out and then it's just Michelle and White. And it was like, OK, Michelle's on the field. They're running the ball. OK, White's in the field. They're passing yeah. the ball. And so but they what they've done is really gone away from that. I mean, James White caught one pass on Sunday and he had 73 yeah. rushing yards and Michelle caught a few passes. So it's like, now they're starting to use both of them in the other direction where they're running with white a little bit more and they're passing with Michelle a little bit more. And so I think that, you know, the, the need for Burkhead, not that, not that it's not as great. Cause I think Burkhead's a very good player, but like one of the things that Burkhead brought was that multi-dimensional aspect to it where he can run between the tackles, but he can also catch the ball out of the backfield. And so um, you don't need that as much anymore because you're using both guys for both things. And so I think that, you know, you look at Burkhead and say, I think what you said is perfect. He's an insurance policy that plays a little bit here and there, spell guys, you know, and kind of there, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. So, um, yeah, so so we'll see about the Vikings game. I mean, I, I – Look, when the, when we came into the season, obviously the Vikings were great last year. They made it all the way to the NFC Championship game, obviously after that crazy play, you know, <laughs> last year against the Saints. And then, you know, they get rid of Case Keenum and bring in Kirk Cousins, and you're thinking, oh, my God. And they get Dalvin Cook back, and you're and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this team's going to be the best team in the NFC. And, you know, they've been fine, you know, and they're probably going to win the North, but it's like, I don't know. They don't blow me away. So I think, you know, I think they're a decent team, but they're not like, I, I put it this way. If the Patriots are playing in February, I highly doubt it would be against the Vikings. The matter of fact, they're like yeah. third or fourth on my list, you know, in the NFC. And so, you know, that to me tells me that, yeah, they're good. They're going to be a playoff team and they might even win a game in the playoffs, but they're not like this huge test for the Patriots. I, I think that, you know, especially it being a home game. Yeah, but, you know, I don't, we'll see how much we see from them. Yeah, I look at this Vikings team, and, and I, I thought this as soon as, you know, they decided they weren't going to sign Case Keenum. Uh, I think I, I just don't think Kirk Cousins is anything better than what Case Keenum was, but you're guaranteeing a guy like him seventy what, $75 million. And I, I just find it – I don't see him to be as an as electric of a quarterback as I think people thought he is, think he is. If you watch any Redskins games over the past few years, he has the ability to, you know, make a play more than a Case Keenum can. But I think with that – team they there's the team that should have traded for Alex Smith there's the team right. that needed just a great you know I, I game manager whatever Tom Brady was on uh WEI earlier this week and said like that's the least offensive thing you can call a quarterback he's like I want to be called a game manager that means I don't do anything to hurt our team and I make sure we put ourselves in a place to you know win and he thinks all quarterbacks should want to be named that but anyways um I think Alex Smith would have been the perfect quarterback there 
Um, hopefully he wouldn't have snapped his leg in two and something that still makes me a little nauseous to look oh, at. But man. I just <laughs> I just find that was the guy they should have went with, uh, not knowing he was available at the time. But I just think Case Keenum in this offense felt a little more like in, you know, I don't know, like in sync with more receivers. Like he evolved a guy like Kyle Rudolph, who I think is a top, you know, 10 tight end in this league still. And you don't see as much from him. If, I think Kirk Cousins' passes, it's like over 60% of his targets and completions are to Stefan Diggs and Thielen, which, of course, that sounds like a, like me playing Madden-type numbers. It's like he's just so right. locked in and has comfort zone with those guys where I feel like with a guy like, uh, you know, maybe just another quarterback would be spreading that ball around. Like you still have other weapons there, and I just – think this week my concern with it is if the Patriots are able to you know whether whoever they decide to focus on with Stefan Gilmore if he's able to do his job even above average even if he gives up a score or something like you need to hope that the rest of those guys can step up around you because I worry about Dalvin Cook now coming back he's getting healthy they they haven't used him to that you know RB1 you know full bloat like three, three down back they still use a lot of uh Murray Latavius Murray in that offense and right. I think he worries me a little bit because he's getting healthier I know he said some you know I think he had a fumble a week ago or a week two weeks ago and he, last week he shouldn't touch the ball as much so he, he's a little fr- he's fresh coming into December and that worries me especially you know that's what teams do when they come here they're going to throw they're coming to you know Foxborough they're going to try to throw it on you and they're going to try to run it down your throat I feel like now that seems like an obvious script to win but I think with a team like this they have the, the part to do it and that's you know, a little worrisome to me, but I just don't look at Kirk Cousins and this Vikings team as this overall win or lose. I just don't look at them as this like Super Bowl contending, or even I don't even know if they'll make the playoffs personally. Right, they may not. Yeah, but well, that's true. They certainly might not. Well, who else is going to make it from the North? The Packers are I on think, against the polls, but I don't know. I think the Bears are going to make it. Oh, the Bears! I, gotta, I forgot the Bears are good this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everyone does, all right? Um, well, you know, and there's their core, you know, Mitch Trubisky's hurt again. He's out this week, and Chase Daniels, you know, got the win in Detroit, but it's still not a, you know, a Didn't quarterback I'm looking at. Like, you don't want – he's not, you know, the backup situation. He's a Nick Foles, we'll say. But I also right. look at, like, when it comes to the playoff picture, those teams are starting to come on. Like, I'm not a believer in the Eagles, but they're getting hot at the right time. They have a big game Monday night against Washington, a team that I thought was a lock for the playoffs coming into the year with Alex Smith and, and that Gruden system. But – that's kind of gone awry. So, you know, I think there is a chance the Vikings could sneak in. This is a big game for them in that case. But, I, you know, it's an important game. And I think it's the second best game probably of the weekend because Patriots win. Everyone starts maybe believing a little bit more Vikings win. It puts a lot of question marks on the Patriots and the Vikings become a real threat in the NFC. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. All right. So I, I do want to get into we have an interesting topic I think we're going to talk about today. But before we do that. You had, you know, pretty famously, well, I don't know about how famously, but fairly famously, I thought with the hashtag dork podcast, you did 31 horror movies in 31 <laughs> nights of October. And I I just, I can't even imagine how how time consuming that was. How difficult was that for you to do? First off, yes, it was world famous. Uh, I'm getting calls <laughs> from directors everywhere. Um I don't want to take up the whole thing. I won't make it as time consuming as it was for me and my wife, but I will say this: it was started off fun, like anything else. So like, if you say, Hey, we're going to, you know, whatever it is, like one of the favorite things you like to do, whether it's a movie, a TV show, a theme park, going to see a different thing every day, trying a different meal. It's fun for about four to five days. Then right. it becomes like, Oh yeah, we got to get one in today. And then it became a thing where me and Keith started making videos. So I, even I felt like, 
you know, yep. you know, he, he's done a lot for me professionally. You know, we felt out, we got a good rapport. And I'm like, okay, let me make sure I get like a movie in tonight. And then I, sometimes it was just like, okay, it's like 11 o'clock. We're doing something. Let's watch this. And then it was like the choice of movies became smaller and smaller. Cause in the beginning I'm renting movies and I don't know what you guys use for cable, but anyway, you rent a movie off your cable box, usually four bucks, let's say, you know, not the right. new movies, even the ones you just rent off. So we're spending like 16 bucks in one week. I'm like, all right, enough. We're just going to find the free ones and the stream ones. And then some of them you're watching, they're edited. It just isn't the same. But overall, it was a ton of fun. We almost questioned doing it in December, doing 25 Christmas movies and 25 nights. But I think that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but I just, I love horror movies. I am a fan. They're some of the cheapest, most low budget, sometimes crappy stories. But you find a couple gems in there. Uh, I find like if I have 90 minutes, I'm mostly probably going to pop on a horror movie because that's just kind of the, the, the personality that I have. I like it. So I think if anybody loves the Halloween season as much as I do, my wife did, like if you have, whether it be a significant other, a friend or something to do something like that with, it just, it was fun. It was something we could talk about every day. It was something we were texting each other about throughout the day. So it was kind of, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. There were some Sundays where we ended up doing a triple header of movies and almost forgetting about half of it. So uh, it definitely was challenging, but again, a lot of fun in the end. That's cool. What was your favorite movie of the month? Oh, boy. Uh, so I haven't really sat down and watched The Shining since I was a kid. That one really, like, grabbed my attention, how good that movie is and how pacing of movies have changed so much. Like, that was made, you know, I forget the exact, like, 78, we'll say, and I, I'm probably wrong. Um, it was a long movie, but you just felt you were actually on a journey. Like, for anybody who's seen, like, The Avengers, like, you see Infinity War, that's a longer movie, but, like, movies now, it's just like, boom, action, boom, action, you're flying, you're going right. scene to scene. Where back then, it really wasn't like that. It was a slow build. It was a lot of story. You're, you're learning a lot, and then it, it pays off, though. And movies now, especially in the horror genre, are, like, 80 to 90 minutes it starts with a bang it lulls it there for the next 20 minutes with story then comes back with a slashing killing and you get all your story out kind of quickly where i think the shining kind of blew me away and also re-seeing cabin in the woods is one of my favorites as well yeah so i've never actually seen cabin in the woods but the shining for me it's funny i'm a huge stephen king fan i've read probably 55 of his novels that's like it's like ridiculous and i haven't read one in a while because i have three little kids now but but so when I first saw The Shining, Are those bedtime stories. Did you read them bedtime stories when they were kids? Is that where some of the reading had to come in? One day, you never know. I mean, like it's possible. <laughs> Not yet, though. It's a little. He's a little too R-rated for them. Yeah, we'll get um, them there. But uh, yeah, right, exactly. But um, I hated The Shining when I first saw it. Absolutely hated it because. Mm. he changes the entire book and the, and the whole, it's not really just the fact that he changes the story because it's not really that he changes the entire. He kind of, it, it, I don't know. It, it changes everything really. I mean, you know, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy that helps Danny with the shining, they, that gets axed when he walks into the, oh, when he walks yeah. into fire. He was, now. He was the one that saved them at the end of the movie, at the end of the book. That's I what I heard. Okay. Right. I've never, so, I just like, Wikipedia it. I don't have the right. patience to read. But, uh, no, I do not. Yeah. Trust me. Right now, I'm like, I can't read anything. Um, and then, but then there was like, you know, and then also like Jack doesn't just go crazy. He becomes possessed by the hotel and actually physically yeah. turns into a monster that becomes part of the hotel. That's why the end scene, he's in the picture. Right. And so it's like, it doesn't make any sense that he's in the picture because you're like, well, yeah, okay, he went nuts. But like, why is he in the picture? Well, he's in the picture because he physically becomes part of the hotel and turns it up. So it's like parts of the book, parts of the movie, I didn't think made sense because he kind of 
cherry pick things. But anyways, it, whatever. I have King hates it, and I hated it when I first saw it. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna rewatch it and pretend I never read the book. I'm just gonna pretend yeah. like it's just our movie and has nothing to do with any other book I've ever read. And I can appreciate how great of a movie it is because it's a fantastic movie. I just try not to associate it with the book because I'm like, wow, it's you know, he just it, it doesn't, you know. But let me ask you a question. In the book, is there is the scene with the teddy bear, let's say, with the uh, with the gentleman there? Is that is that in the book? The, the who? There's a part when um, the wife, uh, Wendy, is going up the stairs looking for Danny, yelling Danny's name. She gets up to a certain she, a floor, and she takes a look to her right, and let's just say there is a, a man in a suit and a man in a bear costume, we'll say, you, you know, playing with themselves, we'll go with. And uh, I, I, was that in the book? Is you remember, I is think that, so. Ring a bell? I think that that was in the book, I believe. I know oh, that the... Weird that scene the in, it's bizarre, isn't it? Dude, King is the weirdest guy in the entire world. And the scene yeah. with the woman from the from the uh um like in the room. Now there's a different number. Oh, I know yeah, it's not the, the room, same yeah, room number. Yep. Right. That's from the book. And that's like yeah, bro, that. when I first I read that, was, I was like, Whoa. Yeah, and I heard it was much creepier in the book and there was more story yes. to it where in the movie it was like you only start twice, then finally he goes in and like all the mold and scales on it Ugh. right oh it's just nasty yeah yeah it's like yeah oh yeah so yeah that was uh, that was part of it. but anyways uh, we're getting way off topic here we're not we're in <laughs> basically in december now but um but yeah that's a it's a great movie if for those who haven't seen it we've just kind of ruined a lot of it but whatever i mean it's, it came it's out room, room so, like, 237 seen by it, the way room 237 okay yeah it was different in the uh it was different in the in the um in the book and people say like 237 has to do with the faked moon landing, and that's why yeah. he changed it to room 237 or something stupid like that. And it's like, come on, conspiracy theorists. I'm sure Keith loves yeah, that conspiracy theory. I was just going to say, he, he's talking about it. I'm like, it's just funny. Like, how does the name of a room end up? Because I guess that was a studio room number anyway. He's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? So, but all right, let's get into, um, so let's get into what we, what we really came here to talk about, which is the Patriots getting screwed by the refs. And I, so I think it, this actually came up. Because I'm I'm a math teacher and I was teaching the Pythagorean theorem and I was teaching um, the Ben Watson play, you know, where Champlain picks Ben Watson off, uh, picks off Brady and Watson tracks him down in the 2005 oh. playoffs, and it's one of the worst one of the worst calls in the history of the NFL. So, anyways, I tweeted it out Watson retweeted it, which was pretty cool, and then you That's know awesome. kind of inter- interacted a little bit with us, and I was like, that he's he's still in a league, so it's interesting to kind of see a guy like. He didn't. He didn't necessarily agree with us, but like he was agreeing with us. You know what I mean? So anyway, so it was just it was just kind of interesting. So and not only that, but we're recording on the 29th, November 29th, nineteen ninety eight. The Patriots had the famous game against. Uh, I guess twenty years ago today, Patriots had the famous game against the Bills, where um, you know they had the they had the the touchback, not the touchback, the pass interference in the end zone against Terry Glenn. Uh, on Terry Glenn, I should say, and threw a touchdown pass to Ben Coates with no – literally there was zeros on the clock. Mm. They got the ball with no time left and threw the threw the touchdown pass to Coates. Uh, and then the Bills wouldn't come back onto the field. And so Vinatieri ran it in for two. And people that bet on the game were pissed because the Patriots won by four because of the two-point conversion, and they were minus three and a half. And so it was like one of those crazy things. But leading up to it, Sean Jefferson caught a pass on the sideline that where he was out of bounds. He didn't get both feet oh, in. Yeah. It looked it looked like he did, but he didn't. And there was a big discussion about it. One of the Bills players claims that, you know, 
one of the refs in the huddle said, uh, just give it to him. Like, and so people were, people were pissed about it for, for years, obviously. And so, um, you know, it's one of those things that actually, it, it actually helped push instant replay back into the NFL because, because of that missed call. Um, and so it's just kind of interesting. So I figured on that, you know, on, on the anniversary of that, on the Ben Watson play, I figured I'm like, all right, let's, let's talk about some, sometimes the Patriots got screwed by the refs. And also the officiating in the last game was just so tremendously poor that oh, yeah. it was just like, what are we doing? And on both sides, the, the officiating was just brutal. Like way too many penalties. And look, I, mean, I think, I think both teams are at fault for that too. Cause there were some, there were a lot of legitimate penalties, but a lot of times you're yeah, like, I, he didn't even do anything. You know, it's just, it was yeah, crazy. That James White, the James White pass interference is, is, really like still upset i watch that a lot like i because i want obviously i'm not going to pretend i'm not a homer i'm a fan of the patriots because i work in radio and you have to be objective they try to no i'm a fan first and i always will be Uh, i'm sitting down just like everybody else on sunday and i'm I'm screaming i'm cheering i'm hooting i'm hollering but i watch that i was ticked off i was screaming i may have said uh, you know a couple of words choice words that my mother wouldn't (laughs) want me to say but I watch that play over and over because we talked with James White on Mondays and he, he was like, yo man, he was really honest. James White's not the best interview, but he was very honest in that interview when he said, I don't know what a penalty is. He's like, I, right. I watched the play. And so that, that led me to watch it again a couple of times. That one, I think just out of all of them was just really, really a hard one for, I think a football fan objectively or not just to watch and be like, how is that a pass yeah. interference on a running back? He never made contact with the player. It was just a really poor call. Right, and he turned and looked for the ball, and that happened. I don't know if it was on Thursday night or if it was on Sunday or Monday. Night. I was watching another game, and a receiver did exactly the same thing: turned around, put his arms out for the ball, and the defender ran into him. And it's not a penalty. He's standing there looking, waiting for the ball, and they called it on him. And he's like, "You gotta be kidding me!" Of course, it worked out because yeah. the Patriots was through touchdown pass to Gronk on the next play. But yeah. uh, you know, but nevertheless, it's just it's one of those things where you're like, "What the hell?" You know. So. Um, Let's go back. I want to start at back in 1976. Uh, you know, and a lot of us weren't. I know I wasn't born, but it's a play that I grew up. My dad, uh, you know, has is always pissed about it, still pissed about it to this day. Uh, you know, the 1976 AFC Championship game, and they're playing against this, the Raiders, and the Raiders are losing, and there's no way the Raiders can go back. There's basically no time left, and it's, I believe, third and ten. When Kenny Saber throws a pass, and Sugar Bear Hamilton – Hits him as he's throwing the ball. Now he hits him in the helmet. So if you watch the play no. now, it would be called it would be called roughing the passer now, based on the rules yeah. now. Those weren't the rules back then. It wasn't it no, was roughing the pass. Just and just quickly interrupt, it was a third and eighteen. Yeah, third and eighteen. So there you go. Right. So it's like, so that's the thing. At third and eighteen, it was an incomplete pass. It now brings up fourth and eighteen. They give the fifteen yard penalty to Sugar Bay Hamilton. Then they give them another fifteen yard penalty for arguing the call. And the Raiders get the ball down, you know, first and goal. And Stabler ends up running it in a few plays later. And they win the game and the Patriots lose. And it's just one of those things where it was like, it's just inexcusable. You can't make that call. It was a garbage call. And so it was one of those things where the tuck rule happened. And by the way, the tuck rule, you can disagree with the rule all you want. And the rule is stupid. But based on the rule, they made the right call. They did the same thing. I think Vinny Testaverde was the Jets quarterback that year, and they had a play just like that where they called the tuck rule earlier in the year in 2001. So that rule existed. They used that rule. It wasn't the first time it had been called. 
And so, you know, Raiders fans complain about it, and it's like, hey, Sugar Bay Hamilton, like you won a championship in 76 that we would have won. So you want to say we won one in 2001 that you would have won? Fine. But now we're even. Yeah. Even if it was cheap, now we're even. Yeah, I, I'm 100% behind you on that. Obviously, again, before my time, but I remember when the tuck rule happened that week, I remember my father saying that is everything that is completely a, you know, a, a return from 1976. Right. And then, you know, me right. being like a little bit of a, you know, at least Patriots historian Celtics too. Like I like going back and watching some of these things. Red Sox, it's well-documented what happened with them in the past. Yeah. Um, and this was the one for the Patriots that people held on to, you know, in 1996, I remember they were saying this 20 years, like, here we are, we're finally back. And, you know, weren't able to get the job done then five years later, that tuck rule happens. And it's kind of sparked this, this run that we've, you know, the Patriots fans have been lucky to have for all this time. But, you know, you go back and just imagine if this play wasn't called, if they had that championship in 1976, you know, who knows what, what it would have led right. to. Obviously, I still think things would be what they are now, but it wasn't a re, uh, you know, an egregious call and definitely set the Patriots back way back then. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I guess there's a million of them, but I guess we can talk about the Watson-Bailey play, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. I mean, if you haven't seen it, first of all, how the hell are you a Patriots fan if you haven't seen that play? It is yeah. – it, it defies the laws of physics. It, it does. I mean, Champ Bailey was running down the sideline with a ball in his out in his inside arm. So he's running down. Yeah. The sideline's on his left. The ball's on his right hand. And he gets hit by Watson as he's bringing his arm forward. So the ball flies forward of him. He goes into the end zone. He hits the pylon and goes into the end zone, and the ball is clearly to the right of him, and they call it down at the one-yard line instead of instead of outside the end zone and a touchback. And that's that's at the very least a seven-point swing. And yep. I think the Ellis Hobbs, the Ellis Hobbs uh, defensive penalty, defensive pass interference in the end zone was a was a ridiculous call too. There's 14 mm. points. I think they lost by like 10 that game. So, you know, it's yep. one of those things where that could have been a 10-point swing that you know that play by Watson. And instead, they you know they lose that game, and obviously Brady had not lost a playoff game before that game. Um, you know, it's funny. I went through. I gave a so I was a junior in college when that happened. Senior year, I gave. I had to give a. Or no, it was actually that semester. I'm sorry. I had to give like a a speech. I took a speech class, and I well, we like gave speeches and stuff. And I had to give a speech trying to convince people of something. And I I gave a speech saying that the 2005 playoffs were rigged for. Peyton Manning to win the Super Bowl because if you remember the Steelers game that weekend, the calls against the Steelers were ridiculous. They had the Troy Polamalu interception where he picked it off and he like yeah. he fell down and as he was getting up, the ball fell out of his hand and they called it incomplete and it was like, what are you kidding me? And so they had, you know, that was the um, where Bettis fumbled on the goal line and Nick Harper had been stabbed by his wife and Roethlisberger tackled them at the 50 and Vanichoke missed the 50. All these things happened, but I was saying it was the NFL was trying to get Manning a Super Bowl. They knew Denver sucked. And so they said, but the Patriots lose to Denver. Indy walks in there, crushes Denver, and walks in the Super Bowl, and they can win the Super Bowl. And instead, Pittsburgh ends up beating <laughs> Indy, and they walk into Denver and win by like 28. And then they beat uh, Seattle in the Super Bowl and win the, win the Super Bowl. And it was just like, Oh man, that that one still pisses me off. I still can't stand hey, it. I can tell there's a lot of passion coming from that voice. Oh, yeah. You know, my my concern until they, you know, they won the Super Bowl against the Seahawks was I thought that was going to be the future like 
you know, Bill Buckner of plays because it was just so outrageous. You know, Tom Brady's undefeated in the postseason. That, you know, that ball comes out until that game against Seattle, until that amazing second half against Seattle. The Patriots haven't won a Super Bowl. They got, you know, we have the 16 and or 18 and one season, which let's not even bring up right now. We have enough chills tonight. <laughs> Uh, we're bringing up all the ghosts, but uh, you have that. Then you have the 2011 Super Bowl loss where it's just like, okay, like, this, and, and at that point, I remember when they lost that in 2012, technically by year, I was like, this is it. Like, th- th- that was a real nice run we've had, but this team doesn't have that, you know, winning Super Bowl plays anymore. It, it's done. We're getting all the things that go against us, again, until that Seattle Super Bowl. And this was what it all stemmed from, if you really look back, is what you just said is exactly right. They were better than the rest of those, the teams you mentioned. They were better than the Colts that year. I don't care what people say. I know Peyton Manning was a, was a wagon but they, we had the number of Peyton Manning and I don't right. care where we played that game the Steelers were trash I don't I, another team that I thought was not that good we weren't even all that impressive and you know by the skin of their teeth they win and they win in this that horrible Super Bowl where like if Seattle had half of an effort in that game they would have won so that yeah. this was it, for a while I thought was going to be the moment we'd reflect upon like even now if we're having this recording and there hasn't been you know two Super Bowl wins in the past few years like I think we'd be talking just about that being like how did this happen like the curse of the Patriots right yeah I mean for mine for my like worst call that I've witnessed obviously I'm uh, I'm 21 so I've been alive for pretty much this whole run which has been insane but one that I can you lucky remember, son of a bitch I know I'm, I'm spoiled man I'm spoiled um I remember so, when you were in diapers and they were in Super Bowls <laughs> yeah right they um but one of the I mean two of them really stick out I, I, I know we talked about it off air uh, in Denver, two or three years ago, the day, the year Brock Osweiler beat them. So I don't remember what year that was, but um, Gronk, the Patriots are driving at the end of the game. I think either up one or up three, could have put the game away, or maybe even down or tie game, whatever. And Gronk got this horrible uh, offensive pass interference call where he, you know, made the completion, got a first down. It was a big game. They called it back. It was, you know, third and long, didn't get it, punted the ball away, and then they ended up losing, I think, in overtime. But uh, that was one. And then, I mean, how can you not talk about it, the helmet catch, the play before, um, you know, right before Eli Manning escaped the pocket. There was a clear hold when they slowed down the video. I think it was Richard Seymour being held. I can't even remember, but it was a terrible, terrible missed call there. And affected, you know, probably would have been the, you know, best, best year ever, I mean, to this day. Yeah, Yeah, and just to mention that that Broncos game is like that. That's another one that still gives me a little bit of chills and and makes me a little like nauseous because it's Brock freaking Osweiler. And I know at the time he actually looked like this quarterback that could be, you know, the heir apparent to, to, you know, um, Peyton Manning that season until like they just decided, you know what, we're going to we're going to take you out. You've won a couple of these games for us. Thanks a lot, bro. You're out. We're going to put in the worst quarterback, I think, in the league at that time statistically. And that's not hyperbole. I'm pretty sure he's the worst no. assistant quarterback yep, in the league. Right. Bring him in the second half of the Week 17 matchup. And that's also the same week where the Patriots decide to give the ball to Steven Jackson who's like the, the, as old as my father. <sighs> and he got like almost 30 carries that game. So that year there's a lot going on. But that Harper drop in this, like I, yeah, that was that's a great call. Remember that because that is a year I think that's kind of forgotten because that's another year the Patriots could have went on a bigger run and said they gave up the number one position to Denver by running the ball to Steven Jackson a gajillion times and Peyton Manning and his like half an arm wins the game. Right. I forget who they played. I know we were against Miami. I forget who Denver played, but you know, we, the story then goes as we get down into, you know, Denver and weren't able to get that two point conversion to tie it up to go to the Super Bowl, And, you know, Denver goes on and wins that 
oh, it just that, that Super Bowl against the uh, well, and that's Carolina. against the Panthers. Yeah, and that's yeah. and that's one of those ones where again they had those last two games. If they had won either of them, the Jets or the Dolphins on the road, yep. that was the year they had the uh, Winter Classic at Gillette, and so they had to play the last two games on the road. And you know they they lost both of those games. And if they win either of those games, you know they go to the they they get the number one seed and go to the playoffs. I think that was the overtime game where Slater. Where they won the toss and Slater said they they were kicking off instead of receiving. Yes, and they lost and it was like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you do that? And so that's you know those two that decision and then the Stephen Jackson thirty times for like fifteen yards and you're like, well, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that was a crazy one. Um, one of the ones I'll bring up was 2012. I finally got the info. Uh, we were talking about this again before we officially started recording. Uh, it was week three of 2012. Uh, crazy week, uh, crazy game between the Patriots and Ravens. It ends up going the Ravens' way with a field goal at the end of the game. Ravens win in, I believe it was in New England here. It was 31, it was. 31 to 30, and it was one of the most outrageous scenarios because I was it Tucker? I forget. No, the kicker. Uh, now nah, whatever doesn't matter. I'll, I'll get in a minute. Whoever was the kicker for the Ravens goes up over the crossbar, like directly over a little bit to the right, over the right side if you're staring at it, and they call it good. And Bill Belichick, I think of all the times you've seen emotion, I remember a lot in the, the – there was a week two one year, he freaked out in a call against uh, – might have been Gronkowski on a pass interference call against the Arizona, which ended up leading to a loss. Anyways, he lost his mind. I've never seen Belichick to this day grab an official – with the way he grabbed the official that day. Yeah. I think that you said you were there. Like he was physically was. grabbing this man. He was like, this is not right. Like this is not like Belichick can take a loss. I think better than anybody. And, and I know that sounds weird because he didn't take a lot of them, but he's pretty like, he'll own up like our team sucks. Or even when there's bad play calls, like even this week, listening to him, there was some pretty, you said it, some bad calls against this Jets game. But he said, I looked at the calls, every, all of them. I, there's no excuse. Like we should have been better. We should have, he was fine. He lost his mind. And this is something that is still stuck in Belichick's cross to this day. Every time they, he wants cameras going up the field goal post, going to the sky. And he once right. even brought up lasers. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but you know, probably have with what you do. Like he wants lasers going into right. the sky so that you can at least tell where the ball would be. It would hit the post. Does it have to go over? Because the rule is, as they say, it has to cross over the top to the like inner half. If that the makes inside. sense. So, right. so right. even if it was going to hit the post, but it goes over, it's on the inner half of it, it's a field goal. But they, you know, this thing was on the outer half. This thing didn't look good. It's almost up there with that Ben Watson. Like when you do the math behind it, you get into the, you know, you look at all the, the, the footage of it and you go, okay, from the math side, how would the angle of the ball? It, it's really crazy. And Belichick, again, I, I know every time the committee, uh, the competition committee is collected, whether Belichick's present or when they send representatives, it is always brought up. And right. I think he was right. It was a crazy call. It was. And, and it's interesting. So I actually sit in the end zone because uh, I have season tickets and I sit in the end zone. And so I had a clear shot and I, it goes up and I'm like, oh, he missed it. I'm like, thank goodness. And they called it good. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, he clearly missed. And it was one of those things. And now I didn't even know the rule about the inside. Like you could just tell. I didn't even realize he kicked it over the top. I just thought it was to the right because he missed it. Like it was clear that he missed it, but he kicked it so high that they called it good. Man, that one, that one still pisses me off. And the other one that, that's funny you say, you know, uh, 
Belichick was running at the ref when Brady was running after the ref and kind of grabbed him and everyone went nuts at Brady, you know, touch the ref afterwards, whatever was the Gronk play to Keekly, um, yeah, where they threw the pass to Gronk in the end zone and Keekly basically just tackled him out of the play at the end of the game, last play of the game, no time left on the clock, and Gronk's open in the end zone. Keekly just tackles him. And, you know, no, they throw a flag, and they pick the flag up they, they, and say, oh, there's oh. no penalty. Oh, God, that one, I, my blood still boils when I when I think about that one. Even watching the video, it's just oh, – it's, it's just – it's maddening that they didn't throw that flag. And the Patriots should have had another, yeah. had another shot at them. And man, well, I think you're right. They, they pick up a flag at the end of the national televised game. And this is right. a team that's starting on the rise. This is a this is a Carolina team that people are starting to be interested. There was a, that was a very highly rated game. I remember that year. And this is that is just a play that is just dumb. Like how is that? How is it possible that that is the situation that that they were put in? Like first of all, he is absolutely grabbed. He is held. He is tackled to the ground. Pretty throws to him too. It's not like it was like one of those plays that's off in the side. That's where the ball went. Right. It's like ah, knew that, it that one it was. It was terrible, and that was a weird year for the Patriots in general. But that play specifically, still, it irks me, and it just makes me think. You know, we see a lot of these plays week in, week out in the NFL. Not always at the very end of a game. You'll see a call like this somewhere out there, but like at the end of the game, with all eyes, where else are, you, are these referees thinking? And how do they, you know, how do they determine? You know what? Let's pick that flag up. It was incidental. Like, what's going on here? Right. No, it's brutal. Brutal. So, and the last one, just one last one before before we go, we got to talk about it. Is is Corey Clement this past year in the Super Bowl? You know, I think it's one of those ones where, by the rules now, it's it's a catch. By the rules yep. last year, it's not a catch. And I'm sorry, but that's not a catch. And that's on third and ten. They got to kick a field goal instead of instead of scoring a touchdown. And so it's one of those ones where it's like. They got screwed on that play, and you can clearly see the ball moving. I don't care what anybody says. Like the rule was, it happened all year long. If the ball's moving when the guy's going out of bounds, it's an incomplete pass. Period. End discussion. That's it. And the yeah. ball was moving, and they called it a catch, and and then they stuck with it on the replay. And you're just like, you've got to be kidding me that that's a that that's a catch. And that ticked me off so much because that is a call that early in the year, Kelvin Benjamin. Same exact scenario, mm-hmm. same yep. exact like part of the end zone, everything, and it's no catch. And and then in the Super Bowl, when it's a bigger, much bigger stage, we're talking against the Bills here, but like a huge stage where there's an opportunity to show, okay, we we have a definition of what a catch is. You know, this one, the ball's moving, he's trans, he's moving around, one, two, tap. Okay, nope, that's not gonna be a catch. We'll review, and they it holds up. That that it's just infuriating. It's the same thing, and I know it's different, but like Zach Ertz with his touchdown. Same thing. Remember early in the year, the Jesse James thing. It's the same exact scenario. Both times in the regular season for the Patriots, it went their way, if you want to say right. that way. Or it went, let's go with the proper call, more than likely. And then in the Super Bowl, same scenario for both. I know the Earth one, he had two more steps, but it just right. very it was very like odd, you know, poetic justice, I guess, for Patriots haters. But yeah, two calls that I just thought one way were called in the regular season with the Patriots involved and completely different way in the biggest game of the season. It was 100%. And the Ertz one is interesting because it's so close to the Jesse James play. I do think he took a few steps and then actually physically dove for the goal line. So to me, yeah, the Ertz one was a catch to me. And and look, you know, you can say definition of the rule to me, whatever. 
I look at that play and I say, that's a catch. Like, I just look at it and say, that's a catch. The Justice Jones play, he catches it, he goes down, the ball comes out. Like, he, that's not a catch. I'm sorry, but it's not, it's just not a catch. And so, you know, I think the Ertz one, I think I'm like, okay, I'll give thee that one. I think that that's, that that's a legitimate catch. The Corey Clement one should have never been a catch. And that changes the whole flow of the game. And, and, you know, who knows what happens. So, but, you know, we'll see what happens. But anyways, you know, look, I've really enjoyed having you on Jason and thank you so much. And, and, uh, you know, for those of you that, that don't listen or haven't listened, Dale and Keith is, is 10 to two great show, a lot of fun. And I was saying to Jason, uh, you know, off the air and, and, you know, Minahan's in the news a lot about different things. And I don't really want to get into too much about Minahan, but one of the things I think about Dale and Keith that separates them from a lot of the guys in the Boston media is that they're just, they're just regular guys. They're just talking sports. They're not hot take artists. They're not trying to, you know, they're not Howard Stern trying to get you pumped up about one different thing or trying to get you pissed about something. So you call them. They're just, they're just giving their sports takes. And sometimes they're going to do, goofy crap like you know keeps keys and you know all sorts of different stuff like that but like but at the end of the day they're just them it's just them talking which i think is is good and if you're listening to this show that's what we're doing here so if you like this yeah they're, they're probably a little bit more talented than us and so you so you'll like them you know all talent's all in the eye of the beholder like, let's not let's not pretend about talent all right they, they, they've just been doing it let's just say they've been doing it for a living longer i would first right. off like to just say this is a lot of fun you guys I like the rapport you guys have. This is a lot of fun talking Patriots, talking stuff. I think more people should be listening to stuff like this because especially when we're talking about a topic like we did today, it brought up a lot of bad memories for a team that's won a ridiculous <laughs> amount of games and has made maybe like Sunday's the best day of the week uh, right. for the majority of my life and, and, and for one of us here, their entire life. But um, <laughs> I, um, I will just say, yeah, it, it really is like – without going into all the details and going into all the behind the scenes, people just like, that's like we has become like TMZ in a sense of itself. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I will just say that, yeah, working with Dale and Keith is a pleasure because those are just guys that are, you know, super professional, super like just good to work with good guys, understanding we work as a team. There's no hierarchy. Obviously, listen, if Dale wants me to do something, I'm listening to him because this guy's been in the industry, you know, longer than I've been alive. And, and, and Keith is a guy, you can just see the hunger, you can see the desire, you can see like the growth in someone like him and just even the year I've been there. And, and they're just relatable. They're the type of guys, if you catch them out at a bar, even though Keith says he doesn't like to leave his house often, uh, if you catch them out at a bar, like you could sit down and talk to him and you, you'd feel the same authentic way. They're personable, they're real people. And what you hear is what you get. And, and there's no character at times. Yeah. Let's, like you said, mentioned like Keith keys. Yeah. We're going to turn it up a little bit. We're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to, we're going to bring in a little bit of that, you know, show show, you know, men side of it. But for the most part, it is what I think there is a thirst for in the city of Boston. Those are sports talkers and people that actually care about the games. People that actually care about, yeah, there's some drama out there, but like care about the, you know, the side of it, not to just make a story to make a story and not, to you know make fun of people just to make fun of people they, they, they're guys that watch that care and i think they actually genuinely like like their like their listeners like we enjoy our listeners whether they call whether they text whether they tweet and yeah sometimes they're going to bust our chops but we're open to it it's just like you know when you're around friends your friends aren't always just going to be like hey man that's really good hey you're awesome no they're going to make fun of you they're going to say things and i think that's what i like about this like you said it perfectly they're authentic that's our show motto just be authentic be real and you know i and i think the fans and listeners and, and the city of boston have been really you know taking us really well now that we've you know been 10 to 2 now right 
No, it's, it doesn't it's hurt. Good. I get out of work, at, like you know, in the afternoon. That's not bad. You know, you said you're a teacher. Like you get out that yep. same time. It, that's a, that is a okay. great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That is very true. That is very true. Yeah. One of the things I like about, you know, when I don't, I, I can't really call in much anymore, although over the, over the Christmas break, you might be hearing from me, but, but I haven't been able to call in. Go. But, you know, one of the things that I used to like about it is that you'd call Felgar Maz, and if you get through, you're on hold for an hour. And it's like, you know, yeah. I got little kids. Like, I can't be on hold for an hour. Like <laughs> my wife's yelling at me in the background, like, you got to help. And, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? I want hold, you know, so. It's, you know, 15, 20 minutes are on hold and you get on and sometimes it's less than that. And, and that's nice. And also, like, your opinion isn't dismissed. It's sometimes, you know, you call in and you disagree with the host and your opinion yep. just gets dismissed and, oh, he's wrong. And let's start talking about something else. So, like, if you have an opinion, they'll talk about it. Now, if it's stupid, well, then maybe not. But, like, you know, but they'll yeah. at least entertain it. And so, um, so again, you know, I like it. I'll talk it up. And are you going to be there the 21st at uh, Bully Boy? That is my goal because I think I'm actually going to be starting our vacation. The show is actually going to be off, like from the full time guys, from the 21st on. So my goal is to be there that night. I am a big fan of like the, the, the if you want to call it the Triforce or whatever you yeah, call yeah. those guys, yep. the Universe guys. Uh, they've been really friendly to me in some of my little side ventures, things that I'm working on. Um, but I, I, I like the podcast. I, I you know Mac and Goo, the boxers. Obviously, a big dork fan, and it will help in any ways possible. But I just. I like the community built there. And, and if I could just tie this one more time to what Dale and Keith is, that's what it's about. And I think that's one thing people that, you know, whoever's listening to this that, you know, buys into some of the stuff that you hear on the EI airwaves that's clearly changing right now is that there's a community out there of people that love sports. And I think that needs to be remembered. Like, of course, yeah, you're going to have your controversial topics. And yes, there's a room for politics and all that. But Boston is such a passionate city for things like whether it's music or live events, being out. This this town this is a major market town that loves to be out and about and loves their sport. They love to go to games. They like to hear about the games, especially when it comes to like, you know, playoffs or a big game. And there's not a better, I think, show in the city. And I mean that honestly, not just, you know, well, a little, I'm biased, but well, uh, I think that really taps into those fans and not just people that are, you know, looking to sensationalize everything. Right. No, I like it. Well, hopefully you'll be there the 21st. I'm ho- I'm planning to be there. So I'll buy you a beer if I, well, I, I don't know Bring if they the even kids. sell beer at the distillery, but you know. Bring the kids. I want, I want the family affair. <laughs> Are they over 20 months? <laughs> oh, no, no. That's going to be a kid free night for me. That's it. It's going to be, they, they, please, if you're, if you're going on school vacation, that's going to be a whole lot of time with the kids. So yeah, Listen, you I'll, need I'll that bring the kids if you want to, if you want to watch them, I'll bring the kids. That's fine. You know, I got, you I can got be four nieces and nephews, so I'm good so for like it? an hour and then, yeah, then it gets kind of crappy after that. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, thanks for coming on. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, maybe yeah. we'll have you on another time. Yeah. Listen, whatever you guys need, I appreciate it. Thanks for like the, the, uh, the, the, the proper plugs and, and the uh, appreciation for what we do over there at WEI with Dale and Keith. And yeah, anytime you need a, a, you know, anything from the show in general, listen, I'll, you need one of those guys on there, I'll, I'll make it happen. All right. All right. Thank you, that. Jason. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And again, this show's great, you guys. And I hope, you know, this, you know, for my parents here and just you maybe putting other people on that are in the market, like, let's, I think you guys do a good job and it's a lot of fun. So thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah, Thanks for the kind words. Once again, thank you very much for, uh, to Jason Rossi for coming on to the show. Pat, to finish things up, we'll go into our uh, you know weekly segment here, uh, up high, down low, too slow. Uh, I'll start up with the up high, Sonny Michelle. Um, Pat, what can you say about him? I mean, another amazing game. 
Uh, you know, it was definitely a slow game, typical lazy, you know, kind of boring divisional game, but he kind of stole the show, you know, broke off some big runs, breaking tackles, you know, gaining yards after contact. And, you know, one stat I wanted to bring up, I tweeted out earlier in the week, is that when Michelle has 18-plus attempts, 95-plus yards, the Patriots are 4-0 while averaging 36.5 points per game. In the games he's failed to reach those marks, the Patriots are 1-3, average just 19.5 points per game. Um, and, and good to note, the Patriots actually scored 38 points that I factored into that against Chicago, and 14 of them came special teams. So, I mean, that, that's actually lower. So I know I just went on a rant there, but, I mean, he's he's been amazing. No, and that's – I mean, it's a perfect illustration of what this offense is. It depends on this running game right now. Brady's still not in sync with his receivers. I don't really know why, and that's something that – you know, that's a different topic for a different day. But, you know, you look at that and you say – you know, that this game, this team is dependent on a run game. And Michelle has been great when he's been healthy and they've been feeding them the rock. And, uh, you know, that's really, that's a key to victory for them. And so if they can do that and they're successful running the ball, this team's going to be really tough to beat. Uh, Absolutely. Really to beat. So, uh, you know, with Michelle comes James Devlin. And we haven't talked a ton about Devlin. I know he scored a touchdown uh, against Tennessee, you know, but, Michelle, a lot of his success was with the fullback in the game. Devlin's a great blocker. Very, very rarely does he miss his assignment. And so, uh, you know, Devlin is a guy that's, I think, very responsible for Michelle, you know, having some of the runs that he has. And look, some of the times he's blocking in the hole and the hole's not there. And so Michelle will cut back. But he's allowing him that time to have that vision to go. Whereas if he misses his blocker, goes to the wrong spot, Michelle gets stacked on the backfield. So um, yeah. I think that he's he's incredibly important to that to that rushing attack and the offense in general. Uh, and then defensively, you know, Trey Flowers uh, has just been a, a dominant force. He had eight and a half pressures again last week. He's just been an absolute monster all year. And we you know we talked about it with Rossi a little bit. And realistically, I mean, he's the guy. He is that guy on that offense where he dominates. And so that's the team. You know, He's the guy on this team, I think, that they're going to have to pay him because he is the Richard Seymour of this defense. And I think you need a few more playmakers at linebacker um, and even maybe safety or corner. But he's that guy on the defensive line, in my opinion. So Absolutely. You know, I'll say it again before you get in the and Just pay, pay the man. Pay Trey Flowers. Mm-hmm. Starting that fan club right now. 100%. I agree. Agree 100%. Uh, and then Gronk. I mean, look, Gronk had a pretty good game, had a great touchdown catch. and But realistically, it was just the fact that he was out there. He looked he good. Playing. He looked good. He's been practicing all week, full participant in practice, and he played 69 offensive snaps last week. So it's good to see that. Off the injury report, healthy. too. Right. He's healthy. He's not on the injury report, and he played all games. So, so you look at that and say, "All right, things are trending upward." And yeah, maybe you know he had a great touchdown catch. Didn't really do much outside of that, but just the fact that he's on the field and doing well, you got to be happy about that. So, absolutely. Uh, and then, and then, lastly, is the offensive line. I think the whole offensive line deserves it. There's some weird Trent Brown penalties in there where he had a holding play and little, you know, little questionable a players, but yeah, one of them was awful. Believe right. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, but, you know, but outside of that, I thought that the offensive line played well. And, look, anytime you run the ball the way they ran the ball, you have to give credit to the offensive Shaq line. Shaq Mason so I think was that, very good. 
Yes. Yeah. And that's so that, and he's another guy that, you know, they need to dominate um, because he's a good, very, very good player and they need him to play like that. And so when he is, they're tough to beat. So, um, so let's go down low. James White, look, James White had 73 yards rushing. He had one catch for five yards. It wasn't a very James White esque game. Now, maybe the game flow dictated that. Maybe the game flow dictated that he wasn't going to be on the field. You know, Brady had a bad throw to White um, at one point. I wonder if it was the wrong route or if it's a bad throw to Brady. You know, we don't know. I have no idea. Um, but, you know, definitely one catch for five yards. You're like, really? James White, one catch for five yards? So want to see him do more than that for sure. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been down low all year. So, right. I mean, the one chance right. we get a chance to maybe put him down there, we'll take advantage of it. But, no, yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. You know, and, and I kind of want to, you know, I wrote about it a couple weeks ago that they might want to watch his workload too and get Michelle up to speed again. So he was, like you said, probably the primary, you know, decision of that offense. Right. And I think I think that's a good call. I mean, too, maybe, you know, limited snap count, preserve him for the playoffs. So yeah, it's a good call. And, uh, you know, no, next one here is Dietrich Wise. And Wise I thought was fine, but he had a, just a atrocious – uh, roughing the passer penalty earlier in the game, it was just brutal. Led to a touchdown on on that on that drive. It was a third down play. He dove at him after he'd already thrown the ball. It was just stupid. And uh, and so you know it's one of those plays that you just like you've got to be kidding me. After you get the stop on third down, you have a penalty like that, and it just kills the momentum. So uh, that wise play was 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 really bad. Uh, and then the officials, man, the officials were just. Atrocious. Terrible. Some of the, the calls. The James White one was terrible. The James White one was awful. You know, there was one um, with Trent Brown where it was a running play to Michelle that was terrible. They missed. Um, it was either a second or a third in goal. It was. I was just saw a picture on Twitter of it the uh, today, and it was like the um, the the Jets lineman had his hand like underneath Andrew's face mask and was like taking Andrew's helmet off. And no penalty. And it was just like you're gonna call a million fouls and you're gonna miss one like that. It's just some of the some of them you're just like, what are you doing? So um and to go along with that, I think four and five for me is the coaching and the discipline because yes, the officials were bad and missed a ton of calls and made a bad a bunch of bad calls. Patriots still had a ton of penalties. And you know, the wise one and they had a few false start penalties and they had just some inexcusable penalties that you're like, what are you doing? You know, like it just, it was just, it's just bad all around. And so I think that, you know, the discipline and the coaching that's coming off a bye. Like there's no excuse for that. And so I think that that's, uh, you know, those can be our last two down lows because realistically player wise, I thought all the players played pretty well. Um, but you know, the discipline and, and, and the coaching, I guess you can blame that on. was just, it was not good. Yeah, I agree with you completely there. So, uh, and then our two slow, oh, Jamal Adams. You phony. What a loser. <laughs> Absolute loser. Good player, too. I mean, shut your mouth. Yeah. Well, and that's, and look, he's he's another one of those guys that he's talk, 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 talk. And sometimes you get backing up. He's a very good player. He is a good player. I'll give him that. Game recognized. But I'll game. tell you what, man, he posts a video of him. And if you haven't seen it online, you gotta you gotta find it. It's hysterical. And he's like, you know, don't try to block me. And he like puts the spotlight on him, and Edelman comes to block him and he trucks Edelman. Hey, good for you. 
you didn't make the tackle. So yeah. it's like you didn't even – it's not like you shed his block and didn't make the tackle. You just laid him out. Well, good for you. Well, later on in the game when the Patriots really needed to score, you had Edelman at the five-yard line, and he broke your tackle and scored a touchdown. So it's like, you know, it's just – man, it's just so ridiculous. So Jamal Adams, you know, too slow. Maybe not literally too slow, but what were you thinking, bud? What were you thinking? I know, right? So, um, but anyways, that's what we got for the show today. Huge shout out to Jason Rossi for coming on. Really appreciate him. Uh, you know, listen to Dale and Keith ten to two. It's a great show. I enjoy it a lot. And when you call in, Rossi's the guy you talk to. He's a cool guy to talk to, and you know, kind of chop it up with you a little bit while you're waiting on hold. And the thing I like about him is that he'll come back. Right, if if you're on hold and then they go to commercial break, he'll come back and say, "Hey, we didn't forget about you. We'll we'll be with you in a few minutes or whatever." So. Um, so I like that about him a lot. So appreciate him coming on. He is on Twitter at, at Jason D Rossi. If you want to reach out to him on Twitter, um, you know, he'll be tagged in this episode too. If you find if you find that on Twitter, uh, I am P lane at P lane underscore paths. So follow me there. Spags. It's, it's Ryan underscore Spags, right? Correct. Yep. You got it right. So on. So, and then I think it's Pat's nation pod, um, is our, is our Twitter handle. So reach out to us. Listen, just, just, you know, talk to us. We, we just want to talk sports. It's all we're here to do. So Get some questions. You know, reach out we haven't gotten in, in a couple of weeks. We haven't. That's true. So start re- start doing your job and reaching out and, uh, you know, asking some asking some questions. They don't have to be good questions. They can be personal questions. I don't care what kind of questions they are. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Answer whatever questions. I don't care. So uh, do that. But appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we'll see you next week. Hopefully we'll be talking about another dub at home against an NFC team. So we'll see what happens. Take care, everyone. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.